Thank you, Julie, for leading us in that worship. It is indeed so special, isn't it, to be able to be in the presence of God, to come to him. And to, to know that we're free to stand here. And somebody might be looking through that window. We're not going to have our names written down in some book. We have the freedom to be here. And so we give thanks to God for that. Right, so to come to the talk. Um, we're going to continue our series on finding Christ in the Old Testament. I hope you were either here or have listened online to Florin's sermon last week where he looked at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, how God provided a ram to sacrifice in Isaac's place, a substitute, and how that foreshadows Jesus, who became our substitute by dying on the cross for us. I'm going to pick up again on that later. Because today, we're going to look at a type. And if you remember back to the first um, talk that we did on this series, there are types, which is something or someone in the Old Testament that foreshadows something or someone in the New. Today, we're going to look at the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build. And that is a type of Jesus. There are 13 chapters in Exodus about this tabernacle as well as long references to it in other parts of the Bible, especially in the letter to the Hebrews. Anything to which the Bible gives such a large place must be of special importance. To set the scene, Moses and the people of Israel, thousands of people, have fled from Egypt and they're heading towards the promised land. They've become wanderers in the desert. We find them camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has led Moses to this place. And God tells Moses to come up the mountain and he's going to meet with him. And Moses is up that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And during this time, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone and then gives him detailed instructions to build a tabernacle or tent and everything that should be in it. Let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here is a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver and bronze. Blue, purple and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat hair for cloth. Tanned ram skins and the fine goat skin leather. Acacia wood olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. 
you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. God's reason for wanting Moses to build this tabernacle, did you notice? So I can live among them. God wanted to live among them, for the people to know he was there. A.M. Hodgkin says, It was the outward sign of God's presence in the midst of the camp of Israel. God's tent in the midst of their tents. The meeting place between God and man. As such, it was a true picture of the incarnation. That is God becoming man, taking on himself human flesh and blood and becoming one of us. As a whole, it was a type of Christ, and every part of it shows forth something of his glory. So I'm going to walk us through the tabernacle, looking at the significance of each part. It's going to be a really rapid walk, though. Um, If you want to know more, you'll have to do some studying at home. So picture one, please, Brian. The tabernacle would have looked something like this. The actual tabernacle is the tent in the middle, called the holy place. Only the priests could go in there. Inside the holy place, a curtain sectioned off the most holy place. Only the high priest could go in there, and then only once a year. The whole outer area was called the outer court. So let's look it all in a little more detail and see how it all foreshadows Jesus. As I said, God told Moses to build it so that God could dwell with his people. How did they know God was there? Because, as you can see depicted in the picture, a cloud hung above the most holy place and could be seen all around the camp. All the while they could see that, they knew God was with them. Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38 say, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now whenever the cloud Lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. They continued, this rather continued throughout their journeys. The cloud, God's glory in the tabernacle, showed his presence and guided them on their journeys. We don't need that outward sign anymore, do we? We don't need the cloud and we don't need a tabernacle to meet with God. Because as it says in John 1.14, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
Jesus became one of us. He lived as a man on earth. And after his resurrection and ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to live within us and never leave us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that, spirit, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God, by his Spirit, lives in us. How amazing is that? So moving on, the whole area was fenced by a wall of curtains. The entrance was through a gate at the east side. It was the only way in. The only way for us to be accepted in God's presence is through Jesus. He is like that gate. Picture two. As you walked in through the gate, the first thing you came to was the brazen altar or the altar of burnt offerings. This is where the people brought the animal sacrifices and the priests burnt them on the altar. Leviticus 1 gave instructions for how the people chose and brought their offerings. And in verse 4 it says, lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept it's death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. I don't think I'd ever read that before. and It's really struck me. Of course, this had to be done regularly. In Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Jesus took all our sins, all our wrongdoings on himself. And it's just as if we had laid our hand on his head as they did with the animal sacrifices. God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. As Florin said last week, the ram became the substitute for Isaac when Abraham was about to sacrifice him. In the same way, Jesus became our substitute, dying in our place. Just as the animal sacrifice was accepted by God in place of the punishment the people deserved, so Jesus was accepted in our place, taking the punishment we deserved. Praise his name. But the animal sacrifice had to be done regularly. Jesus' death was once for all time. Jesus paid the price for our redemption. We are made right with God. Hallelujah. Picture three. Between the brazen altar and the tabernacle was this which was called the laver or the wash basin. Here the priests would wash their hands and feet ceremonially so that they were clean to perform the sacrifices and to be clean to enter the holy place. In 1 John 1.17, it says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We don't have to go through ceremonial washing. We are clean because of Jesus. Next slide. 
So in this picture is when we've gone through into the holy place, into the tent. The priests were the ones who went in there. There were detailed instructions for the making of the furniture and where they were placed inside the holy place. On the north side, so the one on the right, was a gold table. It was called the table of the showbread. Twelve loaves for the tribes of Israel were always there. On the opposite side, there was a golden lampstand. That was tended by the priests to make sure the lamps burnt all the time. Bread and light were always in the holy place. In John 6.35 and 8.12, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Next picture. So you've got the table of showbread, you've got the lampstand here, and then in front of the curtain that takes you into the most holy place, there is this altar. This is called the golden altar of incense. Here the priests burnt incense to the Lord. The smell filled the tabernacle. I found this quote online. What is more, the smoke from the incense itself, constantly rising from the altar, came to symbolize the prayers of God's people, constantly ascending before the Lord. In the tabernacle, Incense could only be offered by the priests, who thus served as mediators between the people and God, symbolically bringing their prayers into the presence of the Most High. This idea is expressed in Psalm 141, where David prays to the Lord, let my prayers be set before you as incense. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore he, that's Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. We don't need to burn incense to come before God. Because of Jesus, our prayers are acceptable to God. And it says, Jesus is praying for us. Isn't that the most special thing? Just lovely to know he's praying for us right now. You're being prayed for. Your name is being brought before the holy God by our redeemer, Jesus. Picture seven, please. As I said, the high priest was the only person allowed in the most holy place, or holy of holies, as it's often referred to. There were precise instructions for the robes he should wear. Aaron, Moses' brother, was appointed by God as high priest. And this picture shows what his robes would probably have looked like. So he had a very special place within the Israelite community. Hebrews 7 verse 28 tells us, 
God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. We have a high priest. His name is Jesus. Next picture. So a beautiful curtain or veil separated off the most holy place or the holy of holies. And I think, um, although I wasn't here last week, Brian reported back that John mentioned that the, the instructions for making that, the, the curtain would have been about four inches thick. Amazing. Just explains why, whenever they decamped and had to move somewhere else, apparently there was about 8,000 people who had to carry all the parts of the tabernacle when it was all folded together and, and packed up because it was just such rich and... Um, heavy stuff that was being moved. In Mark 15, 37 to 39, it says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple was made exactly as the one that had been instructed for the tabernacle. Being torn from top to bottom is just amazing. It's got to have been a supernatural act by God, opening the way to God's presence for all. In Hebrews 10, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. The holy of holies has become our dwelling place. Next picture. Once you are in the holy of holies, and remember, it was only the high priest who got to see this, was the most precious, the most important thing, the most important item in the tabernacle, the most important thing to the people of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25 has very precise, detailed instructions for making it. Let me just point out about the lid. The lid was to be made of pure gold. Two cherubim were made to be from hammered gold and attached at either end so that it became one piece of gold that made the whole cover. The cherubim had their wings spread out, covering the center this was called the atonement cover or mercy seat. The high priest had to sprinkle blood from sacrificed animals on the mercy seat once a year to purify it. This is where God would meet with Moses, the place of his presence. 1 John 2, 1-2 says, If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The blood of animals had to be scattered yearly on that atoning seat. But Jesus' atoning sacrifice, his blood shed for us, was for all time. Praise his name. Well, as I said, that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the tabernacle, but I hope it's shown you how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God instructed for his tabernacle. So we no longer have to rely on an earthly priest to go before God on our behalf, because Jesus, our perfect high priest, does that for us. By his death and resurrection, we are redeemed. We're made right with God. We have direct access to our Heavenly Father. We're able to come into the presence of a holy God without fear. Indeed, we can call him Abba, Daddy. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to die on our behalf, to be our substitute, taking on yourself the punishment we deserved. And because of you, Jesus, we can come into God's holy presence without fear or trembling, but in awe and wonder, knowing how much you love us, willing to give your only son for us. We praise and worship you now. Thank you, Abba. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.